Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Mechanations. I am your host, PMC Trilogy, and I am not going to apologize for chucking your cars. I am another host, Ignis Maddox, and if something happens to me, Stephen Hero, you can have my manga. I'm Stephen Hero, and I haven't read manga since I was a kid. Mechanations is a mecha anime critical analysis and rewatch podcast. Today, we're going to discuss episodes three and four of Genlock. Remember that time that I said I would speedrun Zen of the Enders 1? Uh, yeah, I did. Well. I was there. Yeah, so I, tr- I did about two runs, and then I actually, it was a good experience for me. First off, replaying Zen of the Enders 1. Very good. Zen of the Enders 1. Zen of the Enders 1. Holds it's a up. good, it's experiential. Yeah, I just like being in that world, listening to that music. Yep, I think that's exactly right. But... Zone the Enders 1, as a speed game, I think forces you to focus on the elements of it that are pulling from genres I don't care about. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, that the to really get through those bosses, Zone the Enders 1 has action game bosses yeah. that pull out some of the traditional things like long animations in which they're invulnerable, uh, you know, where cycles matter, right? That you, you kill them before they resume sure. that next stage Sound of, of the long Enders animation. Two, I've recently played that, had a bit of that that did not age well. Right, right. I just prefer the res-like room-to-room combat. Right, right. So I, I had a... I, I realized that, and I said, okay, this is not for me. I should mention that on my very first uh, run, though, it was, like, <clears throat> it was like 38 minutes, and it was actually... It put me like exactly in the middle of the leaderboard, and ahead of some people who had done multiple runs. <laughs> so I don't really know what that's up with. But, but I, and then I did another run in which I improved by several minutes. But apparently I was I had just hit that stretch that was just this minutes-long dead zone in the middle of the leaderboard. Where there was clearly like a cluster <laughs> that were like closer to 30 and sub-30. And then a cluster that's like 38 and higher. Like 38 to 50. Do y'all know... This is kind of out of left field. Please. Do y'all know if Yuki Kajura ever did music for Zone of the Enders? It seems like her jam. It does seem like her jam. I don't believe so. Though. I don't believe so either. Because I'm sitting here thinking about the music in Zone Enders 1 in particular, mm-hmm. which is has this very, um, this is post-1999 mecha sort of sound to yeah. it, where it's, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. this sort of melancholy, but also mysticism, mm-hmm. which Zone Enders 1 is like soaked in. Uh, particularly because it's, if you're not familiar audience, the, the, the game is from the perspective of a child who has kind of fallen in between this like weird mercenary slash rebellion operation in order to sneak this special mobile suit to these rebels who are using it to resist this other group of Mars. Um, yeah. Mars. What are they? Mars terrorists. Yeah. So they're, they're the Mars terrorists. Yeah. They're, they're sort of a freedom force. I think some of it has to do with that, that sci-fi idea of that once humanity expanded far enough away from earth that you would run into situations where there's, remote populations would seek independence yeah they're space noids but bad right or at least bad frames from the perspective yeah. that we're we're in like you know who knows how i mean barom sucks uh or what's yeah, his name i, I mean uh, I, I certainly don't think zone of the enders is sympathetic to the prejudice against enders right uh the glossary in zone of the enders the fist of mars provides some helpful definitions <laughs> in this regard where earth refer to everyone that is not on earth as enders and ender, and, yes. but of course hmm. as is common with with human history uh people always love to punch down right it's, it's sort of a obsession for some and so people on mars regard the people in the colonies near jupiter as 
the actual enders, mm-hmm. which is you know the, the population that we encounter in Zone of Enders one. It you know if it, it, just to comment on the the speed run, it also seemed like instead of other speedruns where the idea is to find a trick that circumvents the structure the game wants you to you know particularly go through like a carnival ride sort of situation yes. um this was one where you they were it just kind of asked you to master right the, the system y- in there, a way that th- the only really didn't in- seem engaging yeah the, re- the real interesting routing of the game if you remember Zen of the Enders 1, much of the early to mid game is obsessed with this portion where you're trying to disable a microwave right. or a set of microwaves. Yeah. And the routing that was done in the game was really focused on figuring out, like, for example, most people playing would go to uh, the microwave EPS 1 before the microwave EPS 2. But if you go to EPS 2 first, it allows you to pick up, it allows you to trigger a cutscene. And triggering that cutscene allows you to actually pick up something at eps one so right. you skip a trip to eps two and and you know, and you can uh you know and infer sort of other things from there so there's light routing there is your normal video game routing where you're in an area that you can go to different nodes in different orders sure. and you know make sure you get the cutscenes and reduce your number of trips but uh but it's not like a sequence break it's right. not you know anything of that nature and so that is less interesting to me i mean for me Speedrunning is always about sort of chaos and destruction and watching things break. Right. Um, and one other note I'll leave before leaving Zone the Enders, well, leaving Zone the Enders 1 is that I did, uh, I was looking at other mech games to play and possibly speedrun. That's right. And I haven't played it yet, but it was like five bucks on GOG. And I was impressed that there was a 1998 PC game with mechs on GOG. Have you, any of you guys heard of Shogo Mobile Armor Division? I've no. seen the cover before. You've seen the cover? Okay, yeah. So Shogo M- Mobile Armor Is it Division. Like, uh, uh, it's a Western Ogo. game, right? Western game with an anime style. Came out around the same time Uh-oh. as Half-Life. That so it's 1998. Trouble. Yeah. Uh, and it is... Um, my understanding is that it's a game that is a, th- a third-person mech action, first-person shooter. So you have sequences where you're both on foot and in a mech. Uh, current speedrun world record. There are two runs on the leaderboard. Uh, one of them is done by Cubeface, who is a well-known uh, I think Gundam he's, villain. He's a Quake speedrunner. <laughs> yeah, also a Gundam villain. Uh, Quake speedrunner. So I, I would imagine he did a good job, although he only did like one run like three years ago. Uh, so it, uh, you know, it's it should be it should be interesting. I I don't know when I'm going to look into it right now, but it's uh, it's cute. Anything you guys want to uh, talk about? mech related not mech related oh. i have nothing unfortunately uh, no. so the, well, i would love to discuss mech related things that's why i'm here mm-hmm. yeah i mean you know that is the show that we run but uh uh you know only lightly mech related uh, last night i was fortunate to, enough to watch a uh, excellent film by the wachowski siblings uh, known as jupiter ascending and uh, I think uh, the I, my hosts have also seen jupiter uh, ascending i have not cr- you have big, not i'm the big fan not Oh, so man. I feel like you would dig it. So yeah. you know, Speed Racer is fantastic. Well, so I would say that it's very much in that vein. Um, recently, it was brought to my attention. Okay, it should be stated that when uh, I enjoy this movie very much, I think on the the level it is intended to be taken, in that it is kind of a Flash Gordon film. Yeah, but with the a lady perspective highlighted. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, actually, what I found out is that it's just Inuyasha. Oh. It is just Inuyasha. It is Inuyasha. Well, now you're not selling me on it. Yeah. Uh, so, um, well, the- I mean, well, there's some. 
There's some all-time great performances in this film. Yeah. Sean uh, Bean. Was that their last film? I saw Cloud their Atlas, last film and so despite far. its flaws, I really enjoyed it. Cloud Atlas, to me, is like... I don't know how... I have how, a relationship to the book, too, so... That's what I was going to say. is that I don't know how you make a movie out of Cloud Atlas in the same way that I don't know how you would make a movie out of, like, Xenogears. Mm-hmm, like, that's kind mm-hmm. of the level of complicated storytelling yeah. that's going on in Cloud Atlas. Um, but... Uh, Jupiter Ascending, the thing that I wanted to note was that there is a sequence, uh, one of our main characters, uh, Cade, used to be a Skyjacker, or Skyjackal, there was some confusion among the audience, which is which, it could be either because Cade is a, is a spliced human, Mm -hmm. he is a part person, part what you would call a wolf, Hmm. um, he has a gun that when it shoots... Now I'm back on board. It makes barking noises. That's good. This is something I did not notice upon... This is not the first time I've seen this film. Uh, this is not something I, I, I did not notice, but after it was pointed out to me, is impossible yeah, to no, unhear. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, but there's a sequence where they uh, enter into some spaceships that uh, kind of form into a humanoid shape that allows them to pierce the atmosphere of Jupiter, which, of course... Being a, a super gas giant uh, has, you know, highly pressurized atmosphere. Right, right. There's a little bit of gravity. Right. Um, uh, and, you know, it was like, oh, this is this is a mech movie. This is a canon. Obviously, the Wachowskis have interest in mm-hmm. some of these topics. Yeah, uh, there's yeah. some very clear uh, uh, visual uh, references to, you know, I mean, they love Ghost in the Shell. There's a... I think you know the character who I'm referring to who rides a cloaking hover bike mm-hmm. uh, uh, is is very clearly sort of Cowboy yeah, Bebop yeah. Ghost in the Shell mm. in, inspired. The, the visuals are cool. It just has a great imagination. It's a pretty like, I don't want to say like, like the story isn't going to do anything that is like going to shock you. Like it's not a story you've never seen before, but it's done in a really clever and uh, uh, visually interesting way. Um, it is full of absurd ideas and th- some of the best worst lines ever. Uh, Bees don't lie is extremely good. It's incredible. Um, uh, and the the main love interest character is a DeviantArt OC, which is hilarious throughout the film. And Eddie Redmayne is in it. Eddie, and, Eddie Redmayne's and, performance is incredible. It's also. worth it just for that, to yeah. be honest. Mm. And also, you see someone's butt. Whose butt is that? Do you know that actress? Uh, I don't know that uh, actress. It's been a while. I was drunk. It was the shore. I don't really remember. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> but yeah, um, it's it's a fine... People who see it and dislike it, um, I think possibly don't... I, I will say that like I'm being slightly tongue-in-cheek. It's definitely a B-movie type film. It is definitely, yeah, definitely something definitely, definitely. that you want to watch with those lens on. Mm-hmm. But And also has Max. Oh. Steven, did you uh, did you want to? Because I would say mine was pretty only tangentially related to Max. But did you want to lead off for for what you've got for us? It's not not your summaries, but if you have something to share as far as your how was your week, you know that sort of thing. No, I bought a house. I'm a homeowner. Oh yeah, there was that. <laughs> would you say that that a house is a mech? Is a house a mech? I guess I'm its pilot. My is wife it? and I deeply is, in is, love. Is your home where the mech is? I, do you think it's more of a white base? Oh, a white castle. Could be maybe where you maybe. store your mech. Where you store your mech. Yeah, I mean, like if if do you, Genlock, do you have an attached garage that you could put a mech in? 
Yes. Okay. I mean, if Genlock is to be believed, then our 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 flesh bodies are mechs. So yes. If if you consider your house where you deploy your mechs, then mm-hmm. then yes, mm-hmm. your house is. Your You're gonna house. have to get a catapult on deck and then shoot it out, shoot yourself out of the <laughs> yeah, catapult. Yeah, shoot shoot one of the uh, the Leos, the ground mobile suits. This is too. Steven Hero. On, well, most of our funds are being suit. diverted to building a fence, but I'll uh, uh, run that by the wife okay. next. Right, right, right. 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 That makes right. sense. That seems reasonable. Colonel, you've a message from a modern major general. All right. Well, I think that is uh, the the calling time to switch over to Genlock. Uh, All right. To log yeah. ourselves in. Yeah, to, to, to lock to ourselves the, into the gen. Into the ether. So for these two summaries, they're going to differ from previous summaries, and that might indicate how I'm feeling about the show overall. So episode three, second birthday. Following the imposter Sinclair's botched operation, the assembled recruits express their frustrations and concerns with the ESU and its experiments. Katsu remarks that he'd like to return to his unit. Cammy's equally frustrated, and Valentina wants out. Before Weller can convince them otherwise, he's called into a meeting with Colonel Marin, or excuse me, Marine, who informs him that the polity has its back against the wall and things are looking dire. She estimates that they have six months before the Union pushes them out of North America. Weller returns and proposes, with Chase's help, that the team give the Hollands a chance, at least once, before writing off the program completely. They agree. Eventually, after little deliberation, each member suits up and syncs with their respective Holland. They quickly take to their skeletal mechs, and their previously defiant resolve begins to dissipate. Before the episode ends, Chase and his soon-to-be companions engage in a friendly game of Capture the Flag with Miranda's Strider team. After some embarrassing missteps, they manage to overtake them and claim victory. Just before they decide to call it a day, several trans transport ships carrying scores of wounded, abused, and malnourished refugees touches down. The sight of them, along with a rousing speech from Weller, galvanizes the group. They're now committed to the cause. Episode 4, Training Days. The episode opens with a training montage showcasing the pilots who are now beginning to gel as a team. Distinct bonds are forming. Weller, loquacious as always, gives an extensive and helpful rundown of the Hollands and their distinct capabilities and limitations. After one of these training sessions, Chase finally confronts Miranda. He tells her why he never contacted her and asks a few questions about their relationship with Jody. Her relationship, excuse me. Despite some friction, the conversation ends on a positive note. Directly afterward, Cammy and Migas begin brainstorming some possible upgrades to the Hollands. We don't know how much time has exactly passed since the Chosen pilots arrived at Anvil, but we can surmise that it's been at least a few weeks. One afternoon, the crew sits languidly on their bunks, bored. Katsu requires beer to break the monotony. They all want an escape. After some prodding, Kami convinces her teammates to jump into the Aether for some gaming. While in the cyberspace of the future, the team shows off their dope avatars and learn a little bit more about each other. Before any of them can sink their teeth into any meaningful distractions, the Aether shuts down due to a Union attack. Polity forces, including the Hollands, the Strider team, and infantry, intercept the Union in a series of street fights. Things progress favorably until Kami engages an enemy mech. This triangular boy, outfitted with four lanky and menacing arms, can manipulate nanotechnology to envelop enemy combatants, clouding their line of sight, which it does to Kami before ripping her Holland's head right off. In response, Chase, Katsu, and Madrani fiercely engage the enemy mech. Valentina provides covering fire and lands a direct hit. The mech retreats. The team is left to assess the damage. Yeah, all right. Uh, You know, something I just wanted to cover as a little correction. I think in in the last episode, 
I had been saying that Jody was played by Matt Holm. Oh, yeah. And that is not correct. Incorrect. Uh, Jody's played by Chad James. Yes. I believe the voice of Boomstick from yeah. the Death Battle YouTube show. Right, mm. right. Matt Holm is a character. Matt Holm is in the show. He's a character that we haven't met yet. Uh, and then the two other things that I wanted to note uh, musically uh, Let the Good Times Roll, the jazz song used in episode one is mm-hmm. a 12 bar blues. I think for the most part, the lyrics aren't too, too relevant. Uh, the opening of the song says, you only, live bo- you only live but once, and when you're dead, you're done, which would maybe be kind of the most relevant line to the show yeah, as we talk like about, mm. you know, what does it mean to be, to be alive and dead? I think that's something we'll probably get into mm. uh, later. And the other thing I wanted to mention was that uh, the band that does the opening song, Belgrade, as well as a number of other songs that appear in episodes three and four, is called Battle Tapes. Oh, and Battle Tapes came to prominence. Uh, they were made most famous by having a song. Uh, I think it's, uh, okay, what was the name of the song? It was in Grand Theft Auto Wonderwall. 5. That's a good name, Battle Tapes. Uh, Feel the Same was apparently a... a, a the, it was just so popular in Grand Theft Auto 5 that they the, the people needed more. And I guess they are providing numerous tracks. I don't. I did not look up. Uh, cannot, I mean, I'm sure if I could probably research and figure out whether or not they were sort of commissioned to write the song for Genlock uh, uh, or not, or whether these songs are just sort of licensed. I'd be curious, but maybe I'll get to that next time in a, in a future episode of Music Corner. Yeah, uh, I mean, the one of the things that I think is worth noting is that I was I was pretty down on the intro in the first episode, and it's growing on me. I think in general, yeah, I'm of, I'm yeah. getting more into it. I mean, I'm definitely a fan of that sort of like smeared audio sound. That's always been something I enjoy. So that's I know that's probably more in my wheelhouse. Yeah, uh, you know, I also remember last uh, last pod we ended by asking whether or not Sin- Fake Sinclair was dead. And Fake Sinclair is in a body bag. Oh, yeah. Dead as hell. <laughs> Completely fucking dead. Completely dead. Uh, yeah, I mean, so we have Arya uh, Kami uh, summing up the last episode uh, in, in you know, a sort of outrage fashion right, right. to comedically establish that as the green, she will be our comedy foil for the team. Uh, it's previously established if you if you uh, checked out our last episode of Trope Corner. Uh, we also get here my least favorite of character development tropes possible. Uh, the yelling scene. Uh, uh, <laughs> Valentina and uh, uh, Madrani Yaz. Uh, I'm going to try and stick with their first names. Mm-hmm. In, in the last episode, yeah. I used their surnames just because that was the... We it depends on the character, because I call Chase... It's Julian Chase, right? Right. Chase so goes Chase by Chase, Chase, usually. Um, the Well, in the, in the first two episodes, we really didn't get to the portion of the show where we would really start hearing the characters interact with each other so i didn't know how the show was going to identify each character mm-hmm. but now we can see how they like to be like kazu and and kami and kazu uh, kazu is very good actually that's the first time i left uh kami uh, is uh you know we'll get to it and because i i want to talk about the individual characters because in three and four we really yeah. get a better idea of who they are um kami is i think the best realized so far i, I think one one question i want to ask about kami and i had this in my notes later but i think this is something that we can bring up here because, uh is that i feel like kami's character is channeling the ghost of scottish twitter a bit and I don't know if you guys picked up on that. So I do think that there's a little bit of like memery going yeah, on with yeah. her. I think that that and, and this is something I was, I'm going to talk about in episode four more when we get to her in forearms, mm-hmm. which is what I'm going to refer yeah, to. Is our the, enemy yeah. is the uh, Disney Corporation around in 2068? 
Because she references Star yes. Wars. She references, yeah, she's absolutely. Chilling. She actually steals my job and, and takes Trope Corner. In yeah, a way that actually, really bothers the, me. The, the union is Disney. That's actually one of the questions I had about the show <laughs> in general, is because if you, a lot of these, like, far in the future or not too distant future shows, I'm thinking like Evangelion, for example, after a calamitous, calamitous incident. The idea of capitalism begins to shift, and I'm wondering, does corporate capitalism really exist in 2068? Have things been nationalized to, in order to combat the union threat? Right. And, and I don't know, because the world building's not that deep. So the, the thing I want to, to, to say here specifically about the yelling scene with Yaz and Valentina... Oh, sorry, I'm going to cut you off. Oh, no, 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 no. I just want to... Because I, I started it, and I know I have a bad habit of doing that, um, is that... There's important stuff that both of them are saying here, and because it's a yelling scene, we... We can't hear it. And, and you know, I, I don't know how you guys are watching it, but I'm I'm using the Crunchyroll app. And the Crunchyroll app has no options for uh, 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 cloud closed captioning at all. Oh, um, so this scene where – and I mean, listen, Genlock is not one for context yet at all. So th- it's not like we got anything there that Valentina isn't going to tell us about later, specifically about being – I guess in the resistance in some previous time and like we, we get some character beats here, but this yelling scene really bothers me one because there's, there's definite still that, that feeling of these two were in separate recording booths and were told to start yelling and they overlapped them Mm -hmm. and they're not talking to each other. Mm -hmm. Um, and two, I, I, I was annoyed at this point because I want to hear their points. Yeah, I would much yeah. rather they – like they're going for more of a real – like when, when people have a conversa- confrontation like this, this is how it happens. With They're just talking at the same time. Yeah. Um, so And that's what they're going for. They want it to feel like two strong personalities coming together in this moment and neither of them relenting, neither of them letting the other one speak. I, I get all of that. Mm-hmm. But as an audience member who is starved – for like how do these people feel about anything like i i I wanted to hear what each of them had to say um one thing i want to put a bookmark in because we're going to come back to it at the end of the episode one of the things that i was able to make out from uh, yaz yelling at uh at valentina was that she says uh not my union which is a Reference to some contemporary slogans that we hear in in the year 2019, and I think the reason I want to put a bookmark in it is because I think our discussion of this line is going to tie into Weller's speech at the end of the episode. Sure, yeah, yeah no, it's worth worth uh, putting a bookmark in. Uh, data shows up, which is what how I'm referring Do to. Do we have a name for him? I didn't look him up. I just have unnamed Andrew. I've been calling him well, Data. We did get a verb that is useful apparently the term that people use for hollow skype is mixing oh mm. yeah they, they they use that now several times throughout the episode where it's like because later in um i think in episode four when we have the cami and migas discussion migas remarks on like cami says that she mixed yeah, in from her on like uh, uh, so i don't know what that's short for i have to assume that it mix is probably one of those things that is you know, an acronym or short for a long... We don't know what that is yet. It would be nice if we learned. But. Also, the, the unfortunate thing about it is that we don't know if that means uh, holoskyping or if that means protecting yourself from your holon. You, that's what mm. I thought it meant, is that okay. sh- that specific well, situation... I mean, the robot doesn't have a holon, so... Right, but we don't... But what I'm saying is that w- what what she's describing okay. is the thing that Chase does, and yes. I don't know if holoskyping is the same thing. Okay. I, I see what you're saying. Oh, because the... Holograms... The, uh, the visor. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm just saying that I right. think what no. she's saying is more specific to that, but who yeah. knows what this Could be, yeah. Yeah, and you're not wrong. Um, uh, I also, like... 
part of the the, the sort of writing, uh, uh, you know, or total problems that, that this show can sometimes have when when Data skypes in uh, and he and you know uh, uh, Weller threatens him with uh, a a reprogramming. Uh, he looks over to Caliban and Caliban shrugs, and like that's a funny joke in in the sort of like 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 two robots are having like a robot like they're having an on the level. But I also I was like, so what does this does this mean that they they are aware that they're a robot class and they're they're having a moment? Do you see what I'm saying? Where it, because it's a joke, I can't tell how much this is supposed to enter into my understanding of, of the world of the world. Yeah. Speaking of jokes, this is the last time I mention this. I'm sure some viewers, some listeners, excuse me, are rolling their eyes at these complaints because they're very individual. They're very individual to me. When you're writing comedy, a lot of comedians will talk about this. You don't want to overstay your welcome. Dynamic word choice is important. Economy of words is important as well. I thought the Gilbert and Sullivan reference was funny. Mm-hmm. However, the bit about Dylan was too much. It lingered too long with the joke. And that's a small, minor example, but I think it's a microcosm of my problems with the show at large. I also like the allusion to Gilbert and Sullivan, because if you've ever heard or performed or listened to a Gilbert, uh, Gilbert and Sullivan opera, it's all about duty. And right. really, that's what this episode's about, is... Putting aside your differences and being, now I won't say patriotic, but that kind of sinks through here. But basically, sacrificing your individualism for the greater good. The 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 song that's being referenced though is also specifically about, in in a sort of funny tongue in cheek way, how awesome it is to be a British dude. Yes, specifically, like like it's a song about being a British Navy man in a sort of tongue-in-cheek way though i'm like trying it, to remember what the con because it's from pippin it, i think is right is it pippin is that is that the one it's from am i going too deep here the two big, the, what's the big ones hms pinafore yeah and, hms uh, pinafore pirates of penzance yeah oh pirates of penzance that's right i think that's the one i okay. think the one they're doing I, is hms pinafore though right i don't know this is no, one well yeah because a long time ago i had a high school acquaintance who did a, a production that had the song in it right i think it was Pirates of Penzance, but we can we can put that because it's the corner. very I'm the very model of a yep. yeah that's yep. the one yep. that they're yep. doing yep. It's yep. Pirates. Um, it's pirates okay so okay. yeah there you go um, Jim Jarmusch's Pirates God of Penzance fucking damn it <laughs> um, uh, so here we're gonna get to like the main thing that we see in this episode um, that isn't the before we get to the second birthday sequences which is the paralleling between Chase trying to talk the Genlock. The people who are iffy about Genlock, which is supposed to be everyone, but like I feel like Cammy's resistance is very it's 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 not as strong as Kazuo or, or Valentina. Valentina seems to be the one being argued to at this moment. And like Valentina, it just seems like uh uh so uh Neither of you, I don't think, were were listeners to the McElroy Brothers Adventure Zone uh, mm-hmm. podcast, right? So in the Adventure Zone, Justin McElroy plays a character named uh, Taco, who is a, a wizard who is uh, vain and self-interested and cynical and mostly looking out for number one in that regard. Um, and it seems like that is what they're trying to instill Valentina with, with a little bit of mix of like world weariness, right? Like that, that Valentina has seen it all and has concluded that we are no better than the ants. Actually, we are much worse and, and has decided she just wants to, uh, uh, you know, die young and leave a beautiful corpse. So she says something to that degree, right? Um, an open bar tab and no regrets. Uh, you know, uh, and so Chase is trying to basically represent the sort of like moral argument like that. Dr. Weller is really going to land when he comes back, which is like, by the way, 
you're all we've got. You know, like this is this is all we can do is this this really dumb thing we're doing here. Um, and meanwhile, Dr. Weller is having a conversation with Monica Rial, um, uh, you know, being like, hey, we this was very clearly a super science long shot thing. I didn't tell you we were going to have super soldiers by week three or whatever. Um, do you guys. OK. Do you guys feel like this parallel this this uh you know worked do you think this was it was a good idea to contrast these two scenes that that you know to to and also to frame chase and dr weller as the same as like the the defenders of genlock do you think that these were good choices i think on my first watch i had trouble following this and it didn't work for me on the second watch when i sort of knew what was going on i could to me i then viewed the scene as a compare and contrast on chase and weller in that weller simply seems like a much more effective and opportunistic leader than than chases and like it's it almost kind of makes the argument that like chase should not like you can always depend on chase to do the chase thing but that isn't necessarily the best thing. And I think you see it here, like it, on subsequent watches, that Weller is always going to be like the, the actually smart tactician that we can't depend on Chase. We had previously criticized Chase as being boring. And in these episodes, the show makes it explicit that Chase is boring. I feel like, which isn't, which is, you know, your mileage may vary, right. <laughs> but like it, it at I least, refer to him as the fun police. Yeah. It, but at least I feel like I can worry less about chase being boring when the show is like, nah, this guy's boring. His dialogue's so boring too. There's always this awkward repetition too. You're going to get, go live it up. Like there's no tomorrow, which is going to make sure there's no tomorrow as if like these, just trotting out these very hackneyed phrases. Well, so, so what do you I mean Stephen what do you think do you think with with the framing of 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 Dr. Weller and Chase as the defenders of Genlock and mm. with one trying to convince people to stay to let to, to you know to not leave because the Genlock recruits want to leave and ironically Monica Rial wants them to leave and Dr. Weller is trying to convince her to let them stay mm-hmm. do you feel like that was an effective parallel it worked for me at the first watch I do want to mention something about Weller which I have a problem with increasingly as we move on the show the first two episodes, so with episode three, I thought the show all too often makes light of Weller's ethically dubious qualities. There's a line Weller says where, I can't clone myself, believe me, I've tried. This is, yeah. And then later on, Chase as well makes a joke about it. Valentina says, I'm not here to fight. I was told I was needed for scientific research. Chase kind of makes a joke out of that. Yeah, well, research yeah, for fighting. research yeah. on how to fight better. Weller's really valorized in this show now. I felt the first two episodes were a little more critical, but the show is backing Weller as if he's the last defense. And I don't like how lightly it deals with these issues. Like, I had a problem with this as well, with the juxtaposition of the NYPD and the refugees. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a little... It's more than tone deaf. It just tells me as a viewer that the show's not going to critically engage with these subjects, not as critically as I would like. And this is... Almost like this portal quality to the writing when they're talking about this scientific overreach, which just doesn't land for me. So um, you're, you're referring to Portal, the video game? Yeah, Portal, okay. the video game. So just to, you know, uh, I, I want to come back around on your point about um, how the, the show makes it difficult to parse uh, Dr. Weller in particular. 
Um, I think what you're describing with like, believe me, I've tried that clone line is is leading into the the problem I'm having with the jokes. Or even it, this one too. You might as well put your brain in a microwave. Well, so that one to me. Like, it is at least in line with his blasé attitude that we saw demonstrated in episode two, where he just put the boy in the blender. Yeah, I was going to say, to uh, me... But the show's yeah. framed pretty critically of Weller in that point. Like, a darkness almost mm. shrouds Weller at that point. So, this is why I wanted to frame that question in a particular way. Because I think it's... it's The first time I watched it, I really felt like this parallel was bad. It, it, was, it was a hacked parallel based off of just the fact that they're both trying to convince a party of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um... Uh, the second time around, I thought what they might be trying to do, because episode four made me very suspicious of a number of things, and we'll talk about it when mm-hmm. we get to episode yeah, four. Yeah. And and uh, after episode four and watching it again, because you know viewers, you may remember we we I, at least I watched these uh, twice over, once yeah. with notes and once without. I do the um, same. Yep. same. And with episode three, it made me curious about so. Something we'll learn in episode four is that there are modifications that can be made to the mind during Genlock. Um And I think it's just very interesting that Chase and Dr. Weller are, are arguing the same things. I just don't know if that... Okay, again, I don't know if this is the style of the writing where Chase is just... He also believes in Genlock. That could just be it. Because I think what they're trying to do with Chase is create a... Like a protagonist character, right? Like if this was like a, a like he's supposed to just be our normal sweet boy mech pilot. Like he's not he's not an Amuro or Shinji, right? Where there's like a like a weight or some kind of shadow over his piloting that complicates his heroism. Do you know what I mean? Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, he's more of a, a a your typical sort of shonen style or super robot protagonist where there is a a core morality that largely makes up his character and everything stems from that. And like the only real other thing we've seen is that he he does care about Miranda. But I I'm curious to go forward from there considering like here's what we've set up about Chase. He was put back together by the ESU. He was gone for four years, and he believes in Genlock for for reasons, you know. And it could be a number of things. It could be that it gives him his confidence back. It gives him his ability to be a physical presence again. But I I thought it was a bad parallel until I thought about it from that angle. And I'm just curious to see with more information moving forward. Because I agree with you that this episode is these two episodes are positioning Dr. Weller as more of a positive force that it's especially considering the speech that he gives at the end of the episode although it's it's the show has been very careful to maintain that he's very sketchy it's it's even at the end of the last speech he is still a bit manipulative well he wrote he does he falls through with his threat and reprograms that mech and Mm -hmm. and or that robot and uh uh you know then makes the uh admits that he manipulated the genlock pilots to witness the you know the damage that right. They, he, he's he is willful and opportunistic. Um, so yeah, we we uh, we we get a moment here where um, oh, I, I should just mention this just so nobody yells it at us. Um, Caliban's face is exactly Unit Two from Evangelion, and it's super distracting. Uh. Next time you look, trust me, like it, you will you'll be like, oh shit, how did I miss this? So talking about little little artistic details. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you two about, because I have... I'll call it Bono on the Edge. Academic background. Oh, you're totally right. 
in electrical engineering. And so I've spent a lot of time and I've also, you know, put together desktop computers a lot. So I've spent a lot of time staring at printed circuit boards. Sure. And so I sort of tend not to bat an eye too much when I see science fiction works invoke the PCB. That's the printed circuit board sure. as, as an aesthetic. Uh, as folks who are, you know, less interested in electronics tinkering, do you guys have any strong feelings about PCBs? Because the Holon pods that they sleep in have these glowing PCB lines on them, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, it's just a, which is a, a flavor. And I'm just curious if you guys have anything to say about that sort of flavor. Uh, not from that angle. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I have right. to admit, and I think this is a, a, a sort of thing that um, just might give away my sort of bias as someone who is typically interested more in, uh, I guess, imagery and text in that mm-hmm. way. Um, that sort of like hard mechanical sort of thing sometimes just whooshes right over my head. Same. Um, I have a keen eye for what I'm watching. So, cause to me, the thing I can't get around is, uh, the, the concept that they're dealing with is one that gets, that happens in Xeno Saga, mm-hmm, and, and the beds mm-hmm. that they're using yeah, yeah. look very similar to the Xeno Saga beds, and that's mostly what my brain immediately goes there and sure. off into a, a rabbit hole once that happens. <laughs> once any Xeno game comes up, it's just, you know, I'm gone. Um, so we, we have a moment here where Dr. Weller has returned, and he, he, he you know, you are our last hope, and Cammy does my job and calls out the trope. You know, he wants us to Luke Skywalker the war, and then I'm like, damn it, Cammy. Can't, uh, can't just do that, Cammy. Um, I worked in this whole story for a whole year. You can't just tweet it out. <laughs> you can't just tweet it out. Um, and so uh, uh, Chase and uh, Madrani Yaz uh, volunteer to Genlock into their Holons to show off the process. Uh, and uh, this, you know, not no, so much inspires the others to try because basically they draw straws and Cammy is the next one. Uh, Cammy bequeaths her manga to Kaz and, and Kazu's like... That's a good joke. I, I don't fucking the read comic kazoo books. kazoo joke. Her delivery is perfect. Her kazoo joke is good. No, Maisie Williams is good. Maisie Williams is good. It, yeah, you know, definitely. She's, she's good at delivering. I, I'm, I'm constantly annoyed by Cammy. I believe, you know, that she is the one that I like the most. But I also think that, like, I can feel myself being advertised to as someone who plays, like... You know, I'm I'm really legitimately shocked at this point that she hasn't been seen with um, fake Mountain Dew and fake Doritos. Like she's basically <laughs> Goblin Diva. Oh mean, yeah, that's actually like, personified. You know, I, I, like I would search that if whenever we finish the show, probably right. Uh, so Cammy tries first, and we we get a lot of good. I bet you Austin Walker liked this a lot. Mm-hmm. This is the sort of thing that I I think he, uh, uh, he finds interesting about. Uh, or, or many people find interesting about the, the idea of mechs insofar as the sort of angle of embodiment of of uh, of realizing yourself into this other form, this other structure that is you now. Um, you know, and they have a lot of good lighting, and she's walking into the light in her new body, which she is, you know, getting used to. Uh, I really like uh, Tag Yourself. I'm the... Uh, I'm the engineer who waves back when she goes, hey, how you doing? I, I, I'm definitely that guy. He's like, yeah. hey. <laughs> and then, you know, we, we start to, at this point, have the other recruits enter into the Holon skeletons that are freaky. So a question, how did you guys feel about the fact that after Cammy tried it and everything went well, that... Uh, all of uh, Katsu's and Valentina's objections were 
so quick. I I can imagine Katsu being like, ah, oh, yes, I I can be I can be tougher like that. I can see him getting let up. I was sort of unconvinced that Valentina would be like, oh well, we have we have bigger gun now. We will, you know, I, let me let me jump on board. I'm mean, obviously for the purposes of the show. I, of course, like this is going to happen, but I'm just sort of wondering that Valentina was was very in, emphatic about being unconvinced that conflict is going to solve what's happening. So um, I think in the case of Valentina specifically, because Kazu, I, I really can buy because he's yeah. the 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 what they're going for with Kazu. If you recall in Trope Corner, I described him as more of a, a black. Uh, coated ranger than than a, a red one. Um, they're really going for lovable brute with mm-hmm. Kazu. Yeah, and so you can see where he could could like trace that line of like, oh, I could be a forty foot you know super guy with Valentina. Uh, if I'm being like cynical, my read on that was Valentina is also interested in aesthetic is is very interested in yeah, yeah, yeah. expression in that way and i think that she was intrigued by you know the 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 idea of the embodiment in that way i i think it the seeing it work successfully on an adorable uh uh scottish girl overcame the very traumatic sight of of watching Sinclair be brain blasted in like I would imagine like I don't know forty five minutes ago <laughs> right it's a pretty short timeline there yeah um uh so there is some awkward uh you know we we all we we get some running around uh there is a uh I guess we don't do the I might confuse it for the next episode. Do we? Is this where we run down the 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 building path and the the the, the stompy mech shoot at them? Mm-hmm. Does that happen? In yeah, episode yeah, three? So, I mean, yeah. The, the, part, the part we get to next is, I mean, we get a little. Uh, I, mean, I will admit my notes are pretty skinny yeah. Deep so in, yeah, in terms of what's going on here, we do get to see Chase again feeling very good in his mech. We get the little joke basketball scene where he's flicking basketballs into into the net, which is which is good. I, I think that's that probably a joke the best or character moment. Does anyone know? I think it's. I I'm going to believe it is a character moment because I need to know things about Chase. <laughs> well, because like again, the fact that he's lying about the auto assist thing is that a joke or is that? Do you see what I'm saying? Where I don't know if this is supposed I to inform Haddock us. I think feels he needs jokes. Well, I what I'm saying is like, does this inform us that he lies about what he modifies about himself in the hall on, or is that a funny joke? I Do tend you, to lean more to the funny joke, I, I, but I'm more cynical about the show overall. I, I guess we'll find out is the yeah, thing that well, yeah. I didn't mean to, to cut. No, out. yeah, I, I think my answer would probably be sort of like, why not both? It you could know? be a Porque Nolestos situation. Yeah. I hope it is. That right. would be my preference. Uh, we get a the the briefest of ingredients for a short jealousy subplot, which I don't know if that it goes anywhere involving Jody Miranda and, and Chase. It is weird that uh, Dakota Fanning is dating Boom Chick, Boomstick from <laughs> Death Battle. That's really it, weird. It feels strange just because I don't think the show has made it clear that Miranda finds uh, Jody completely insufferable. And like as much as I understand in four years of trauma and suffering, you know, you, you got to do what you got to do to take care of yourself. I still like... I don't know. I, I wonder. The impression that I got was less a uh, of like, oh, we're in some kind of like committed mm-hmm. relationship. It was more of like 
there we have had on again off again probably yeah. balances and that it, you know that to me is even more complicated than like oh we're just dating now so this right. just can't be a thing I, I mean that's also why i think i put it more in terms of miranda's self-care than necessarily a committed relationship oh. because that's i i view miranda as kind of the person i care about because we don't care about jody oh, mm. i i <laughs> I have thoughts about that in mm-hmm. episode four. I, mm-hmm. I find the way that the show has been utilizing Miranda to be weird, but we'll we'll get there. Sure, um, sure. So, but yes, I agree yeah. that that, that um, it, you know, this is here to create a point of drama for right. for Chase because it, it feeds into the classic. Uh, you're doing a field test exercise, and then the field test exercise becomes a vehicle for expressing your f- jealousy. Well, so which is what we get at the end of it, the exercise. It's interesting though because the other part of it, the the and, and you know what? Actually, I guess I'll get into this now. So right now, the Vanguard have this really weird narrative place in Genlock where. They are the 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 good guys, and the structure by which our our protagonists are going to learn how to contribute positively to the war effort, mm-hmm. right? But they are also clearly in opposition to the Genlock team. They are, are set up to be um, distrusting of them. Mm-hmm. They they mm-hmm. find them to be weird um, and off putting. Jody has always been adversarial to Chase in a light way, and has now. Like, kind of clearly using this opportunity to sort of, like, dig in the differences between him and Chase and, therefore, the other Genlock team. Uh, so we have this moment. I Obviously, yes, because there's this very pointed joke moment where he, you know, we have Jody's perspective and there's a, a picture of Miranda. Right. And, and it's, it Colin be- Chase shakes his head in a yeah. Sonic the Hedgehog way. <laughs> it could not uh, be more explicit. But he is also defending the honor of the Genlocks. Mm-hmm. And I actually, as much as this is clearly a, a uh, machismo no bueno situation, I also think this was a good... Like there was, if there was a time I've ever liked Chase, it was this moment where he was like, "Let's though, let's show off what a successful run looks like." As someone who, who especially when I'm, I'm going to talk about like approaching this like a video game a lot because this is the logic they they use when it t- comes to Gemlock. Like mm. you can, this is sort of a spoiler for episode five, but th- this is something that they they will come to mm-hmm. to touch yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, it is an, it is useful to learn how to approach a situation like that by watching someone else do it successfully. Yeah. Like, you know, as someone who speedruns, you could attest to this, right? Yeah, like, no, I, I mean, that's always been my approach to learning, and, and that's been true my, my whole life, which is, is kind of hilarious for me because it means that things in which you learn by watching others are easier for me, and then things in which it's like, well, why can't you just intuit it, dummy? I'm like, because that's not what I do. It also... I also really wish we were more... <sighs> Valentina served in some kind of military resistance and doesn't know how to use cover. And same with Kazu. Kazu's from some kind of unit. He references that in the first episode he's in, and he's never heard of cover. Like, the, I mean, is it also implied that that Kazu is like mostly a cook or something like that? Well, so he's some kind of like thug or brute or something because he it, has some world experience, though. Like he, because well, remember he says also like I, I just like I told the guys from my unit, like you know you can't just make me fight. Like it makes it sound like he's he was like Wolverine and they found him somewhere and mm-hmm. like like you know or like Solid Snake and he was in Alaska racing you know huskies or whatever. Uh, so we have the team building montage chase successfully 
you know, owns the the Stompy Stomp mechs, uh, and it's pretty dope. Uh, and then immediately after that, the the Holons are are getting together. They're they're getting ready to to you know chill out for the day. Uh, and um, a guilt trip mech or a guilt trip uh, plane arrives and and dumps a big scoop of guilt onto <laughs> the uh, the Gemlock team. And uh, Doctor Weller gives. Well, why don't I ask you guys? Um, how do you guys feel about? Uh, you know what? Here, I was I was not brave before, and I'll be brave this time. He gives what I would call a bad speech mm, uh, yeah. uh, in this episode that is full of phraseology that, if you are online in the, in the year twenty eighteen and nineteen, let's say from twenty sixteen forward, if you have been online from twenty sixteen yeah. forward, post escalator, um, you would probably recognize. Some of the 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 structure he's using in what he's talking about, some of the ideas he's referring to specifically in regards to being in America and in the UK, in in the British Isles, in in you know 2016 moving forward, I found this. I'll start off, and, and I found this to be cheap, unearned. I, uh, unearned is the the right way to say it. This is something. If this is something that the text is concerned about, um, I think it is demonstrated. Uh, de- uh, demonstrating that they don't understand how to you can't just say it you 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 have to have an idea of what you're engaging with and there's no way to know that in the w- the world that Genlock has set up for us thus far we have no idea what dr weller is talking about right i mean we we are certainly here and i think uh, approving of some of Genlock's ex- explicit decisions in terms of inclusion and diversity and i think we would be ready to be on board with some of this, but absent the context that w- it needs to function, this does come across as you know unearned and you know, sort of ineffective and weird because it's when someone starts repeating things you've heard online, mm-hmm. you have to ask yourself, especially in an online context, and online context is often just sort of text by itself, right. an alone tweet or mm-hmm. a lone comment. How is this person using these words? What? Why are they using the words in this way? Is it, is it an offhand remark? Is it part of some other uh, you know, intention? It's hard to know. I, I think one of the things we're touching on here frequently is that Weller is saying all these things and being treated by the show in all these different ways as sort of, uh, you know, science leader and political leader and moral leader, but also has, you know, questionable science ethics and questionable political ethics and just goes around and, and, uh, and modifies things that aren't his just because he wants to. Uh, and so, you know, making, I, there are so many threads with him and what he's using and how he's doing what he wants to do for, you know, the Weller and given how the world building has gone, it makes me distrustful of saying that there's a, like a a unified thread to Weller. It also hurts that we don't have enough context about the union period. Right. So all Weller is saying comes across as platitudes. If I was a member of the squad, I would need, they would just naturally be talking with more context about this approaching or ever present threat, but he's just speaking in abstractions. Well, that's the part that really, that really is galling because it's one thing, all of the words that he says in this speech are ones that you can universally agree on. Right. And I think that's probably the most galling part is that, like, when you talk about right and wrong, when you're talking about 
good actions versus bad actions. It's not that tweet. There actually are. There actually is a difference between good and bad things. You idiot. You moron. You moron. Yeah. And the thing about making that distinction is that it actually takes courage, especially when you're making a a entertainment product, because it means acknowledging there are people in the world who think they are just fine, who are actually thinking bad things and and the, the things that should be pointed out to be bad and said these things need to be corrected and to say all these words and to not actually point to anything in particular to say this is the bad thing it it kind of just reveals your show to not have any real thought on this mm-hmm. matter yeah, yeah and yeah. and it and it really just put a bad taste in my mouth and it is unfortunately the last goddamn thing that happens in the episode and it also reveals the last reveal of it is that it was a naked manipulation by a character we are already feeling suspicious of in order to get other people to do what he wants yeah the only other stuff that i might mention i mean there is also of course the acknowledgement of the weaponization of technology which is comes across i think as another platitude the reason i bring it up though is that he refers to genlock as evolution and so it becomes sort of the most interesting part of his speech because it's the most specific part of his speech because it touches on something that is you know the lifeblood of the show this genlock technology and the fact that he considers it an evolution is, yeah, i was gonna ask you yeah. what would genlock not militarized look like but you sort of answered my question there yeah i it's also you know um i i will want to highlight i do want to highlight chase's line is that you know because because valentina asks what and kazu asks what do you do about evil and and chase responds like you you can't you can't stop evil because and and like i wanted chase there was like if he added like one or two more lines like of like you know you can't stop evil because evil is like it it is a uh imposition upon the innocent Right, it is a a uh, a stealing of liberty. It is a stealing of individuality. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. If they if yeah, they planted yeah. the flag in an idea like so, like the intro, right? Something that the intro of the, the show, the, the literal intro song, does really, really well is it makes clear that the issue of the show is group homogeneity versus individualism Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm, like we see that in the individual holons and their unique designs versus the 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 horde of you know the same five things over and over again spiders and larger spiders right um and i thought like this is where the show is going to plant that flag right of of like you know individual thought even if you know uh like like to the ultimate end is the thing that we're going to defend but it, it's it's these broad strokes with these very serious tones that makes it hard to stick to your teeth you know what i mean like, i wish the show would just go full on saturday morning cartoon and that's not to diss saturday morning cartoons but when i watch the opening that's a saturday morning yeah, cartoon it's fun and right? yet the show doesn't really have fun with itself but takes these very serious themes and uses them in a paint-by-numbers fashion, or in a paint-by-numbers fashion, where it's not really dealing with them critically. And that's my issue with the show. If the show went full on, you know, I had a similar complaint with Gundam Wing as well, but if it went full on fun, I would be enjoying it a lot more. I just think there's a way to do what it wants to do, which is to to create a, a an evil force that isn't particularly, like like, calling out anyone in the audience. This is the problem with creating... 
like fiction right now is that there we are in a horrifying time where the, the what what is a good action what is a bad action seems to be highly politicized when it's actually pretty straightforward and simple it's just very easy to nowadays present an idea that it should be an upheld good you know uh, like a common thought that unfortunately has become politicized in ways that that are difficult to grapple with outside of you know like well obviously we should be helping human beings maintain their their personal dignity and keep their family units together and uphold their culture obviously all these things are good right anyway um so that pretty much brings us to the end of 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 second birthday Mm. i I will just to put a cap on it just because you know just now we were talking a lot of shit and i think it deserves it i think second birthday is on the nose but good i liked it i think the show should have started here i yeah no, no, I, I think everything that we said at the end of episodes one and two, in that we, we expected it to really get to what it wanted to, which was this uh, characterization and team building and fun with the action scenes with the mechs. That's what we're getting here. We're going to get more of it next episode. So, yeah, it, it was more fun because we weren't stuck in things the show didn't want to deal with. If they've tapped into the data center, aren't we fucked already? Cammy, we have got to work on your cursing. Why? I curse pretty well already. Hey, so I got this title for an episode. Oh, yeah? It's called Training Days. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But it's D-A-Z-E. Yes, yes. Haddock probably not- started with that before he actually came up with the yeah. idea of Genlock. It's the days you get. Right. It's, training. It's, but, it's that, but it's also like D-A-Y-S, you know, guys? Right, like you get, yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah. Cool. Like the time passing. How do you feel about starting off an episode with a montage, just like straight up? I like this. Yeah. This I have a problem with that. This okay. is a... Um, I like getting the information about the Holons in general. So, um, uh, first, I, I want to compliment uh, Kazi's butt. No, I, uh, I also made notes about... Nice, butt. What a nice butt he's got. He's, he's he knows sculpted. it. He knows it too. Um, I um, I also wanted to note um, the the eggs. Uh, I think eggs is, is it's well known. Eggs are are brain food, and mm. I think it was particular they chose. I mean, also it's that easy. If eggs and fried rice in the morning. That's yeah, pretty yeah, straightforward. Pretty yeah, yeah. And it's brain food. It's not the healthiest, but that protein and fat in the morning is good for you. Uh, so montages often have this structure where you're, you, you, you have repetition and variation, and, and the repetition and variation shows the development of the character over the course of the montage. What was the development of the Cami falling out of bed? I guess the last one, we see her give a thumbs up, and she's already in her suit. <laughs> was, so the idea is that she was like ready to go, even though she was still being slammed out of bed. <laughs> uh, so the thing to note about Cami compared to Kazu and Valentina is that um, uh, Kazu and Valentina seem to have some kind of combat experience and that Cami does not. Uh, it seems like Cami is struggling to get used to the discipline. I think they all have discipline problems to various degrees, which Miranda will go over later. But Kazu and Valentina seem to be able to adapt to the idea of being under fire in a way that Cami doesn't. I think we're also witnessing, um, and and uh, Cami gets into this with Miguel later. Uh, and I don't know how much because uh, I I don't want to go into this too too much without doing. I, I wanted to do more research about mm-hmm, this. Sure. Uh, but I think what she is experiencing is something of a a physical dysphoria where she is struggling more than the others because of the sense of self that she has and how much that is in conflict with the Holon. I think that 
Um, both Kazu and Valentina are six foot twenty, fucking killing for fun. And so when you they transmit themselves into the Halon, there is a sort of mental math that's easier for them to do. Like, oh, I was like normal six foot twenty, fucking killing for fun, and now I'm robot. Yeah, six twenty foot stories 20. tall, made of radiation. Made of radiation, exactly. Yeah. Do we have ages on these boys and girls? Um, because if, if we didn't get the information that we get in this episode, I would pay Cammy much younger than the other two. And the other two probably in their mid-20s. But since they all have to be young minds and young bodies to pilot the Holons, I don't know. Steven, I, I, I would have thought you learned this lesson from Gundam Wing. Well, and, I was thinking about Gundam Wing. I, I still can't get over Trace. I, and I learned from 20, Gundam Wing. What is it, 23? No, 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 no. I thought he was 24. 24. We, yeah, we can't. Oh, fuck we it, can't. I was close. You're, you're right, but, but, but how old is X, though? I, I definitely learned my lesson is the point. And I, but yes, we we touch on Leon, voiced by Grey Attic, is, is too old for the Genlock program because he has lost his neuroplasticity. Um, I imagine if I had to guess just because um, when it comes to these metaphors, they tend to be um, either coming of age focused or puberty focused or sexual focused. Uh, 18. Yeah, I would say late teens. Yeah. So in the in the montage, besides the communication of the personal development of our pilots yeah they get closer we they- also get uh yeah that as well and then we also get some uh straight up uh video game rules exposition about how our yeah we explain very ava inspired yeah this clearly there's there's some um i didn't pick up on the caliban thing that you mentioned earlier but oh you mean how his face is the unit too? i can't yeah. see it no 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 you'll see it forever now um so it's we've we're now learning more of what the the benefits of genlocking is versus just piloting a, a fancy mech, uh, and one of those would be there is a, a modifications that you can make to yourself while you're genlocking. They specifically call out overclocking, which appears to be some sort of berserk mode, almost uh, not a berserk mode, but almost like they are they are able to process information faster. It's bullet time. It's, yeah, it's yeah. bullet time. Uh, you know, you could easily overhear David Tennant's voice in the tutorial level for the stage of, of Genlock that you're playing. What developer uh, would you give uh, the Genlock video game to? Respawn? Ooh, that's not a bad choice. Good choice. Because yeah. of um, Titanfall. Titanfall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it would need to be someone with Western development, I would say, more than, uh, like, because my concern would be it, would, it needs to be more of a, like, narrative sort of thing like that like i'm picturing like yeah like apex or um insomniac maybe insomniac would would be good as well yeah um, we we also learn about uptime which is the 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 maximum amount of time that you can remain in your hall on without being anamorphed well and stuck in it right so that's the thing is i mean look whenever a show tells you that there's yeah. a consequence uh-huh. mm-hmm. that consequence is going it's to happen going to at happen. some point yes <laughs> absolutely we call yeah. that Chekhov's Chekhov yeah Chekhov's Chekhov <laughs> we introduced Chekhov and later he was Chekhov yep um <laughs> and so I find this very interesting too because they frame it in terms of that your mind will become incompatible right the whole point of needing people with with rubber brains is that however your mind has changed in the period of time that it's been occupying the halon your brain needs to still be able to to accommodate this now different mind the mind has changed to some extent but not so much that it is incompatible with your fleshy rubber brain well it definitely is now within and it's it'll be interesting to see if the narrative the the story agrees with this but now we have established firmly that 
who whatever makes you up, you the, the individual has nothing to do with your physical body or your brain. This the show has now declared itself in on that side because we've learned that while you're in the Holon, you can change enough that you just can't be your meat self anymore. So whatever self is, it exists outside of your body, according to Genlock now. But mm-hmm. but the show doesn't have the time to get into this right now. Oh, right. do I mean, we want to... Yeah. Hold on. Because I, 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 we skipped past something. Just a minute, just and, a minute. Just and I don't minute. know if we should talk about it. Do you guys notice anything in this intro? Nothing in particular. Maybe we won't then. Maybe I won't bring it up. Maybe no, I'm curious. You piqued my interest. Maybe maybe I won't bring it up. You guys didn't notice at the end of the intro? Something's a little bit different in this episode. Maybe I won't talk about it. Maybe audience, I mean, you know, this will be a fun. Maybe maybe we won't talk about it then. I I I, I picked it up and and I'm not. I promise okay. I'm not punking you okay. guys. Okay. I promise okay. I'm not punking you guys. I, I'm. Well, let's let's finish discussing this and then when you guys f- f- like, I assume you guys will follow up on this now that I've mentioned it after the show and. Okay. and I think it'll make for a very interesting discussion next week. Okay. Um, but in any case, uh, we also get our Sentai suits explained a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, what I thought was interesting about this is that when it comes to science fiction and fantasy, kind of the main difference that you'll find is that science fiction will go out of its way to use established fact to create its fictional components. So um, in a fantasy show, uh, these suits would be like a talisman or something like that that represents like a specific physical attribute that some deity is is like increasing. And here in the show, we're like, oh, it taps into your nervous system and it increases the responses so that you can have faster reflexes and more. And I thought, I always think that's cute. I'm very interested in that sort of mechanics when it comes to empowering your character fictionally. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in Shonen, they'll refer to this as ninja magic. That's sort of the trope that they'll use there. So like Chakra or Ki in Dragon Ball or my favorite example, Nen in Hunter Hunter. Like Nen works a lot like mm-hmm. programming. Yeah. It uses a lot of if and then statements. And this reminded me the most of that where uh, your body... You, uh, or the suits are anticipating a bodily reaction and are going to either dampen it or increase it based off of what you're engaging in there. Although I will say I was annoyed that this made me retroactively annoyed that Sinclair could utilize any of this. Mm-hmm. But it, if it's automatic, then I guess that's why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We also have some traits emphasized for us. Valentina, we, you see in the intro, she's like the sniper, and we see here that she... And we saw in the training montage that she will utilize any chance at all to disappear and, and reassess a situation that is uh, uh, advantageous to her and utilize that from a safe distance. Mm-hmm. I, I think this is pretty good and consistent character action based off of what was established for her, is that she is independent and uh looking to do things in a way that is specific for her you know uh cause on the other hand has so this is going to sound loaded i i didn't mm-hmm. want to phrase it this way but you two are friends of mine and so you know this is a phrase i use a, a lot okay um cause fights without honor yeah this, this no. dude has no honor yeah. at all in yep. a way that bums me out because oh. because like so i, it, I, I love it. it no it's <laughs> it's great in a way it's great and very consistent with his character yeah. um so in episode three he has this moment where um they're trying to get past the stompy mechs um and he just grabs cammy and runs at the bodily with cammy as a bullet shield <laughs> and i was like so uh, like 
this bothered me less because it seems like the Kazu, they've learned the balance of using jokes to inform. Because this is a joke, the using Cammy's body to shield the, the bullets, that is informing us that dude will make... Uh, we, we used to call this in in the Dota days. We used to call this the clump style, where mm-hmm. you will make the most outrageous choice possible <laughs> on the assumption that the opponent will not be expecting it, and it will throw them off enough that it'll just work out. Right. Um, and Kazu always goes there. And then we'll see here in a sparring match with Chase. You know, Chase will knock him down. He will have won the the exchange. And Kazu, when it offered the hand to stand up, will sucker punch him. And I'm like. This is this is no good. This is without honor. Are you fucking kidding me right now? And you know, and you're right. It's funny. It yeah. it is good. It's it's you know, it's it, but it's also like uh, it's demonstrating where the show is comfy. It's comfy with these sorts of character de- like establishing elements here. They're visual. They're not they're written but they're not dialogue. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um yeah. and so the, all of this works. Um and I think that uh uh this was I, I almost kind of wish this was episode two, right? Mm, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Um, I think but, to your point as well, Haddock is very concerned about not pigeonholing his characters based on any ethnic stereotypes or cultural stereotypes. Yeah, that does feel like like traffic cones that the show is trying like, to, like... Like, for example, with Katsu not reading manga, for example. The honorable, honorable bit can play into that as well. See, that's why I didn't want to use... Okay, I, I, I can see where that's loaded, you know, and, and I'm... That's kind of specific vocabulary to me like i'm i'm honestly when i when i use that word i'm thinking more like stupid fictional fantasy like klingon honor that's mm-hmm. more what i'm yeah, thinking about yeah, yeah, rather yeah. than some kind of legitimate cultural like informed honor versus imposed honor that sort of thing i just mean legitimately he fights dirty yeah. that's that's really all i mean and right, i, and I right. think that's informed well here uh we also hear we we have a moment where chase confronts miranda mm-hmm. uh chase has a pretty suave uh anti-suave move here where where uh, i think this is always a bad setup you should never go into a situation like this by saying hey i'm bad at this thing i'm gonna Yo, do like, i'm gonna use self-deprecating humor to open up this important meaningful conversation that we have to have like, right not a i don't think go. this is a good move yeah. ever uh so chase and miranda i you know we we get to the meat of Chase is aware that something's going on with Jody. Miranda doesn't want to talk about it at all. Mm-hmm, and and mm-hmm. to me, especially her her line, she says, uh, not if I have anything to do about it. Um, it suggests that it's it, she doesn't see it as like an ongoing dedicated relationship. That, that she sees this a, as like a... Because she talks about it like, oh, betraying everything that I was. Like a, It seems to me like there's like a, a couple of encounters and you know that that just it's the sort of thing that as an adult like you you just navigate it's a complicated emotional uh scenario and i think chase is really giving her the trying to say like explicitly like here's all the leeway you want yeah i just Mm -hmm. want to reestablish some kind of avenue of communication between us but this also gets into something that i was talking about a little bit earlier where um we have the vanguard presented as adversarial to our protagonists um, and Miranda here lays it out on the line. She says, you know, individually they have good... Oh, and we should mention that the Hollands aren't naked anymore. That we mm, during, In the process right, of the, right. the montage, we saw them gaining their armor. Mm-hmm. Which is like... I would say that that was interesting visual storytelling. Like, they're now 
acclimated to the Hollands. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're still the problem is we're 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 very clearly setting up that Cammy is not there yet. Right, and um, and I'll, you know. We'll get to this in a bit with the with the Cami Migas combo, but even just having the context of the intro of the show, yeah. you right. know that they have not reached their form. Right, right, exactly. Uh, and so we, we basically Miranda gives like signals to Chase, like I I want to reestablish a relationship, but we have to take it slow. And whether or not that'll be romantic, you know, we'll we'll take it from there. And I thought this was organic. Mm-hmm. I, I mostly believed it. I, I I think that this is a hard when it comes to relationships. You're 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 so used to seeing relationships in fiction that you're like trained to pick up on like like oh this is that stage like like in romantic comedies there's always the um, end of second act drama where some truth has come out and that truth forces the couple to be in a state where they're mad at each other right. And we're leading into the third act where they'll overcome that and finally they'll be stuck together forever, Mm -hmm. right? This is the structure of a romantic Mm -hmm. story. Yeah. And I think here what we're demonstrating is a, like, it it doesn't help that it contributes to the idea that that Chase doesn't seem to feel strongly about anything at all. But um, giving her the leeway to emotionally understand where she's at, I think, is a mature thing to i agree to out yeah outside of the opening gambit i really like this scene yeah. i think uh it, it ha- i mean it for for how well the show has handled chase which is to say it's been mostly very vanilla and very boring this feels like human beings yeah talking about their need for emotional space and a sort of need to overcome what's you know what what's been blade before them and right. and neither neither is making you know like <laughs> cease and desist demands or anything is like yeah like you have to give me this right now right, like right. we we don't have the the sort of thing sometimes or I, you know i think especially in, in these shows sometimes you can encounter um inner inner character drama interpersonal drama that exists solely for allowing the, the plot to move forward yeah this does not feel like that this i think as you said it feels organic it feels like what human beings in this sort of situation would do um which is which is good i i do wish I, I, and i don't know why i i think it's odd that they that at no point does anyone say by the way i was a torso in a tube so i couldn't go anywhere you know what I mean? Like, I don't know why that's not addressed. I, I, but again, that might just be because of what you, you were talking about earlier, where maybe people could just mix in and, and right, that right. would be the expectation, mm-hmm. right? Like, but it, it's hard to say because the world hasn't established that for us yet. Um, so, uh, the other thing I will say is that, um, uh, Miranda sets up individually, they're good, they're bad at teamwork right now, and that's mm-hmm. gonna result in them getting their asses kicked. Uh, so then we, we, we move away from that scene into a shorter one where we set up that, uh, Miguel has given Cami some software that will allow their 3d mech printer, which they have, by the way, I love the 3d mech printer. I hope we see more of it. Yep. Uh, you know, to help customize the mech and maybe they'll be able to make dope custom individual mechs that you will use in our intro sequence. Um, yeah, no, I, I think this is this is a fun part because it, it touches a lot on some of those Super Sentai tropes that you gave before. I think it's interesting that the mechs are ver- as very much as a plot point are described as being uniform at this point. Yeah, where but like 
they're all they're all colored differently right right <laughs> but of course they're not going to talk about the color because the colors touch on those trips which you mentioned in our previous podcast and i re- i really like that we can just accept that as as like a part of the world for purposes of identification but also for purposes of storytelling but we're also going to get to uh that thing in mech shows where it isn't just like any gun is the same for any person right really the the mech is an extension of your identity and certainly in this setting it could, it could even become your identity if you get stuck in it right so i i i'm this is the sort of thing that gets me like ah yes i'm excited about watching the rest of this the show future. now like, right. as, as much as i'm so disappointed by the the lack of world building this stuff is this is this is folks this is why we watch mech shows <laughs> like this so, kind of stuff right yeah. no totally and and i and i will say so you know just to, to leap off of what you're saying about the colors um the fact that there is hasn't been in the universe reason for that yet that doesn't demarcate some kind of role or command structure it says to me this is yet another one of those like tone problems where if they committed more to a Saturday morning or super robot sort of thing, then the color scheme thing would like not need an explanation. But in here in this show, I almost feel like they should have an explanation for that, mm-hmm. you know. But in any case, uh, we we're we're cut to after training, and all the Genlock recruits are chilling in their room, uh, and uh, they're all bored. Uh, yeah, this should have been the episode. Yeah, this should have been like a bottle episode inside cyberspace. Right. One, no, I agree. One thing I just want to say is that it felt like the show is way more comfortable with slow movements here than it was in episode one. I, I don't know if you guys felt that way. Like I felt all those little movements of like uh, Valentina doing the splits and Kazu falling back on his bed and Yaz sitting at the desk uh, and um, Cammy laying on the bed. Uh, to me, I, I, I just, I, you know, I was sort of comparing this to how everyone looked in the, in the, in the, the dinner scene in episode one. And I just said like, this just feels more, and it, but that could also be me, like a mental trick just because I'm now more comfortable with these characters as well. I had one note on that too, mm-hmm. when Weller makes a, a side about Leon and he's aged out of the program, but he also by extension tells Leon that he was eligible for the program, his facial expressions naturalistic and emotive like it got to me because in that brief moment he starts thinking about this alternate timeline and what could have been and what will now never be and i was like wow that's pretty good animation that's the first time i noticed this about the show well that was something that that bothered me too because it's yet another like we're we're again putting this 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 friction between the genlock pilots and the vanguard pilots and i'm not sure to what end and and maybe we'll get there soon and you know we still have half the show to go but I, you know, this was that thing I was talking about with Miranda earlier and how she establishes this thing about how the, the, the Genlock guys that we're to be sympathetic for are not ready and aren't good. And, and part of the, what makes that iffy for us though is that we do know that the Vanguard pilots don't like the Genlock pilots that much. Like they aren't actively adversarial. And you could see later in the episode when bad things happen, they, they are concerned or at least specifically Miranda is. Um, but, this show is is making it clear to us, the audience, that the especially like Leon, who's who's clearly the leader of that Strider. Uh, Leon, yeah, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you did it for me, guys. <laughs> audience, every time someone says Leon, I just hear in my head Ashley from Resident Evil Four screaming Leon. 
I just think Salazar so. is saying, Mr. K- I can't do it, but Mr. Mr. Kennedy. Kennedy. Mr. Kennedy. Yeah, yeah, Please totally. Continue. Um, so, you know, we, we, the audience, can tell that there's there's nuance. And, and in many ways, this is good writing. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're laying the foundations for, like, clear and and organic friction that just happens at the workplace where there's no reasonable reason to dislike a person. You just get a feel for them and you're like, you know, Mm -hmm. and then you have the militaristic sort of competition going on where like you can feel the Vanguard Strider pilots who obviously have to feel some measure of pride about being pilots, right? There's a, that's something that the, the three of us unfortunately can't really get into, which is that, that sort of like, there's a pride, right? At, at being like a pilot or I, I assume like someone who drives tanks or someone who drives some kind of military vehicle that, that, or a vehicle that requires training at all. I mean, it's a craft, right? right. It's a craft like, like anyone who operates any sort of machinery and, and does it well. And where there's a, you know, you have to do it well. I mean, in a, in a sense, I would compare this sort of pride to generally speaking, the pride of being a professional, right? Professional exactly. class pride. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so, you know, and then you have what are like nerds and dorks and, and, you know, weirdos nerds, showing yeah. up and, and, projecting themselves not piloting really like embodying mm-hmm. and and that creates a friction naturally um and the, and the show is really like greasing that up it's definitely like i'm not touching either of you i'm not touching <laughs> either of you so anyway they're gonna relax cammy uh, convinces them to log on to um the summer wars internet um, the, I love the, the Summer Wars. The great movie. It is the a great movie. Adventures of Johnny Quest Cyberspace. What was it, what was it called? Cyberspace. What was the Johnny Quest? Thing I, I think it was called si- just called Cyberspace. But so it's just called yeah, Cyberspace. I think okay. it was. Um, uh, so they log on to Summer Wars. Let's talk briefly about um, the individual avatars because that's going yeah, to lead into that's the big topic. Yeah, um, something I was leading to kind of getting into earlier. Cami mm-hmm. um, uh, Westworld. Imp- was it really called Westworld? No, Quest World. <laughs> Quest World. That's even better, actually. Holy shit. Quest World is a great joke. Um, in any case, they log on to Quest World and uh, they meet Ezekiel Rage. Um, uh, I'm sorry. I just really need a, a cut now where someone splices in scenes from Westworld into the into- Johnny Quest cartoons. <laughs> but, like, and, like, dubs the actors. It's targeting a hyper specific audience. Hyper specific It just now made me realize, like, that, that Quest World, they, they were playing off of Westworld. They must have been. You, Westworld, the Westworld you're thinking of is an adaptation. It is the second. Oh, is version there an earlier of, one? Of, yes, okay, yes, see, yes, I, don't, I didn't know that. Yeah, 1980s, 70s. Yes, was 80s, that, okay. yeah, it was. So 80s. it was like uh, from the same era as like Logan's Run or something. Right? Like that. Exactly. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 See, I didn't, um, yeah, that's all I get for making jokes. Um, but no, um, 1973 film. Oh. Westworld was. Mm-hmm. Wow. Anyway, yeah. um, so they log on. Uh, Cammy is is a uh, adorable video game furry. I would I would like. She looks like. It reminded me most of the what is that summon from Final Fantasy? Carbuncle. Carbuncle. Thank you. Yes. It looks like a a, a a white furry version of Carbuncle with a vest. Yeah, it reminded me of my Tarotara from a FF11. Yeah, similar. Um, or uh, the, uh, the the Digimon who has the evolution with the minigun hands. I yeah, Terriermon. Yeah, Terriermon. yeah, yeah. It's definitely got a Terriermon feel to it. Uh, Kazu is kind of. Um, 80s punker Kazu. Yeah, he's, just, he's just a punk. Yeah, just kind of, you know, uh, looks like he would have been a, a random fighter in, like, like Final Fight or some kind of Fist of the North Star henchman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, then we cut to Yaz, who is sort of just doing herself, but with, with hijab. Um, and she looks lovely. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, you know, 
there is a moment where Cammy acknowledges that you know how it's it's interesting that she chooses to wear the hijab in this digital space rather than the the, the real space. I I'm, I'm curious. I imagine. That probably has something to do with being a former union yeah, I, something. I, right. I I mean, to me, it's, it's suggesting... Or it's nothing. We'll, we'll find out. I think the show is suggesting that she, she is, she's had to hide these identities when she's been a part of the union. I think that's... I wish to we me, would know more about that because yeah. the lack of world building, we don't right. know. We don't know how, it would quote, be, unquote, enlightened people are in 2068. It, it would be a great bit of... Because we could learn about the union through our characters. That would be a you mm-hmm. know a way you could tell the story. Well, in, in that regard, then, you know, let's go ahead and talk about Val, who logs in next. And, and Val uh, is uh, wearing the dopest suit I have ever seen. Um, Very and, stylish. And has um, what I will term here big Hisoka energy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. uh, Val really looks good. And we have a moment here where the show tries to introduce an audience that might not have the nomenclature for it, the language for it, uh, a, a, a gender-fluid character. Right. Um, they, they talk about some basic kind of 101, you know, how, how to approach social sociologically this sort of this person this presenting person i think it's Um, a bit didactic but i think it's necessary overall i i agree yeah i I, I think that's the same i i you know i i think it's cool i i want to emphasize that i think it's a cool thing and i think that they mostly do it well and and in a way that is but it also comes off as like unfortunately because calling any attention to it calls attention to it like it it almost undoes itself but for me it works for the most part uh, and then we and then and then Chase logs in and, and he's boring and he's Chase he's just regular <laughs> old Chase um, with a hoodie yeah I have thoughts about this mm-hmm. I let's at, we'll finish this episode and then we'll we'll I'll I'll guide you all into into Ignis's tinfoil hat corner oh. and and we'll see oh, yeah so um, the union attacks attacks us where it'll hit us most the servers oh, no. the gaming. Yeah, shout outs to the the sci-fi and pirates variations though. Also, oh, we should the, talk about the that, extremely yeah. Mass Effect musical or quote. Yeah, I like the Monster Hunter <laughs> reference too. I do yeah. think it's interesting that the union, which is all about like monoculture and conformity, is dist- is attacking this environment of diversity uh, and independent thought. I yeah. So um, I. I We'll talk about that when we get to Tim yeah. Hat Corner. I would say the last, maybe the last bit here, and, and this follows more into plot speculation necessarily than, which is not quite our bag, but uh, we do get to see briefly Dree's avatar appears in the... I noticed that also. Yeah, I, I freeze-framed it. And Did you notice that? No, I didn't. Yeah, so when the when the attack is happening, there's a moment where like, a cloud of smoke rolls by, and then behind the cloud of smoke, you can see pretty clearly... Uh, uh, Dree, which is, you know, Chase's sister in her avatar form mm-hmm. that we saw when she was doing the, the Just Dance song. I guess that answers her question from the first episode, Yeah, though. that she She's was performing. In, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and the, the, the thing that it, I mean, we don't, again, plot speculation is not quite our, our primary interest. My assumption here, based on the, the themes and touched on the episode, uh, we, we do hear, I think Chase earlier in the, in the Miranda conversation says that Ma and Dree were lost, so it sounds like Chase believes them. I'm going to say interpret lost as dead, dead or missing. missing in action. Yeah, yeah, like, well, not in action, a, but it, missing. It, it's so hard again, and, and I hate to beat this dead horse that is now dead. But without the context of the union, we there's no way to know. Yeah. There's but, no way to know if they're yeah. in camps or what happened. The only thing it consists to me, I mean, it could suggest that Dree is just lost in the ether. Is kind of what it seems like it's suggesting to me. Yeah. That's that's my. I mean, that seems like the easiest, simplest take, right? 
So uh, whether or not the show will I, – I, I presume the show will come back to it, whether it will come back to it in a way that interfaces with our concerns about transhumanism and Genlock generally. We'll find out. It's also just, you know I, – I, okay, because it's specifically her and it was specifically Chase's sister, I don't think it was this, but I, I do want to say it out loud just to demonstrate what's mm-hmm. the problem with the lack of context that we have. We, we don't know if that's just a avatar for pop star. Do you know what I mean? Right. Or if it's her yeah. specific. So it's hard to say. Um, so, yeah, the attack happens, and now the Genlock recruits are going to be deployed along with the Vanguard in order to fight off this Union incursion force. It is noted pretty specifically that this is odd. This is about as odd as the New York attack was. But the New York attack was odd in a fortune favors the bold sort of way. And this is odd in a we literally don't know what they're trying to accomplish here sort of way. I mean, but of course, you know, we as the viewer, I think, pick up on it pretty quick, right? That it's just it's just a bait out Genlock. Right? I mean, that's that's kind of what I my interpretation I, of it was. But. I will talk about that in okay. Tinfoil Hat Corner. Um, <laughs> okay. I really want to get to Tinfoil Hat Corner. <laughs> um, so, um, well, you know, because we'll get there because really, like, because of how much action occurs there's here, there's, there's not much to say. Um, I love, uh, now, I, you know, again, I do the streaming thing, and, and Ignis has watched a few streams, so Ignis knows a thing about me playing video games, which is that given the opportunity to pick up things and bash them into other things, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I will 100% do it as much as I can. Katsu with the cars, I like and that And so signal. Katsu, I mean, look, you know, I would do the same thing. If we were going to go fight a boss, I would immediately pick up cars. And run in. That's so, what I would do. So what I think is it's fun. Um, I really I do want to shout out to Kaz uh, after landing. He he gets up and he flexes, and he's just like I'm good. And I you know it's just good physicality. I like Kazu a lot. Cami uh, is able to get lucky. She gets a, a real good um, uh, ocelot shot on the tank that shoots off the radio tower. Uh, uh, and then Valentina has uh, some great. Typically, I'm going to. I guess we should address this. Uh, typically, when it comes to Valentina and Val, I'm going to respect how they are currently presenting. Yeah. yeah. Um. And and at this point in the show, we've only seen her present. Uh, we have only seen them present as male outside in in the ether. And, yep. and I will do my best to respect that as soon as Valentina or Val decides to present one way or the other in either context. Right. Then we see Cami is is uh, cornered by a mysterious mech, a black mech, who I'm going to refer to here as Forearms. Mm-hmm. Uh, Forearms uh, is uh, a pretty, uh, you know, as much as I have my my issues with the the aesthetic, um, I, it's clearly a union mech, um, you know, to the point where I was a little bit annoyed with Cami for uh, taking that long to realize it wasn't a Holon, but it's fine because what. What we're doing there, and, and what I'll give the show a lot of credit for, is that here it transitions its storytelling mode to a horror story, mm-hmm. um, with with forearms clearly being the 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 monster or slasher villain, because um, uh, it's this it's it's not it's this like force, right? It's like right. I, I, I almost w- wish. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say we've seen our our Halons be very human, walk human, think human, and resemble human shapes mm-hmm. and i think you're right to call upon horror tropes because the everything about this the the, the multiple arms the way it staggers like a zombie yeah the fact that it's in, enveloped in, in the dark cloud uh, they're all you know different ways that we differentiate as much as it seems like this is a parallel to our halon heroes 
it is also clearly different in a way that is terrifying. Right. Yeah. Almost as if it's not being piloted by a human, almost more like a force of destruction. See Ava with the dummy plugs or something like so, that. So, well, I do want to get to the dummy plugs a little bit because um, it... This would be better if we had established more that the other Union crafts weren't were weren't piloted. Right. We don't know because all the Union stuff has been this inhuman, but it's it it works better here because of not only the visuals but the sound design where we get this oppressive Mass Effect, you know, noise as it. The Union almost seems like an alien force. Even the architecture of their mechs and their if vehicles. They were this, I, I, I just wish they were aliens because I, I would. There's almost all my context problems then, disappear then we're immediately. One hundred percent into Saturday morning cartoon. Right, exactly. Uh, and and in this battle, it's it. We should note that um, uh, forearms it instantly goes for the the deadly. Parts of of a Holon specifically, mm-hmm. right? Which is that he rips off uh, Maisie Williams' head and is and is digging around in the chest. Uh, at this point, the rest of our Genlock recruits show up and, with teamwork, are able to take down Forearms, which right. is the opposite of what Miranda said. Mm-hmm. The point here is that Miranda was wrong, and when one of them was threatened, they were able to come together. And and in this moment, okay, welcome everyone to Tinfoil Hat Corner, oh, wow. starring Ignis Maddox. Um, so in the moment where uh, Forearms attacks uh, our hero Chase, uh, he has a reaction. Uh, and the reaction is like a, like, I would call it like static or like interference of some kind. And uh, during this reaction, uh, we we see that he is, let's say it, is off balance. Um, and this is the moment where the others are able to come in and start. They they don't do great. They get their ass beat by forearms for the most part, but they give Val the Valentina the opening to take that shot and knock it the fuck out. But that's not what makes it run away. It does not run away until Miranda shows up. Let's shift back to the intro of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember I asked you guys uh, if you noticed anything different about this episode, the intro to this episode? So... Um, at the end of every episode, when the song ends, we cut to a an image of Chase. Um, and there's a moment where the beat is disrupted in the song. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, we, we've typically been cutting to the image of Chase in his tube. Mm-hmm. I encourage both of you to go back and watch the intro to episode four oh. and tell me what you see this time. Oh. Um, because... Uh, pins and needles. Yeah, I know. I uh, make a note of this. It seems like, to me, that... There's something specifically going on with forearms and Chase. And the fact that Chase was unable to come up with a personalized avatar for the ether, and that Chase is also kind of just repeating the ideas of Dr. Weller, someone we have already established is willing to reprogram beings Mm -hmm. to his end. I don't know. So you're saying that maybe, uh, okay, so I'm picking up two things that you're saying. One is that maybe there is even less to chase than they actually recovered, than is being, they're letting on. And the other is that we are already told explicitly that nanotech had compromised Chase's body and that maybe that, that compromise is more meaningful than we were led on to believe. I'm saying that... The the second one you mentioned for sure. Yes. And that there is something suspicious about Chase that I had previously written off. So 
they, this episode has opened up a particular avenue where now I am concerned what I had previously written off as boring writing is actually something else. I'm, uh, so I'm something else masquerading yeah, as Chase. Not, not just that the show is the writing is that Chase is explicitly boring, but that the, Chase is explicitly boring, boring to serve a twist. Right. Mm. And, and I'm like, so here's the thing. I I had been suspecting this for a while because of the way that the intro song disrupts Chase and the, because of the the show has is particularly concerned with identity and because the show went out of its way to not show us what happened physically to Chase mm-hmm. and because Dr. Weller has been so sketchy. Um all of these things and the reveal that that Yaz had never done the 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 um drifting the uh uh, uh drift compatible shit with with yeah the, Chase, le- the level 2 shit mm-hmm. um seems to suggest that there is a secret a mystery yeah. there's a uh, reason why no one has genlock phase 2 and, with Chase is and what you're saying this intro beat i actually i almost wish the intro beat wasn't there cuz it made me I, I'm mm-hmm. I, I I'm not trying to toot my own horn. No, no, no. I'm please. not the yeah, most observant person in the world to, to, when it off. comes to this pop sort off. of stuff. But I it, it immediately put my mind in a specific place and made what what I think it's otherwise. If I'm right, if if we return to Tinfoil Hat Corner in two episodes or four more yeah. episodes or whatever, and we discover that Tinfoil Hat Ignis was correct, then a lot of my problems with the character writing in the show is actually like. Clever, if maybe not worth it. Right. Like I think that's the that would if this is if this is a, in service of a twist, I think clever but not worth it might mm-hmm. be the way to look at it. Right. Exactly. Um. I I'm I'm curious that from this point yeah, forward, no, I, I want to stress that the last quarter of this episode was effective. I think what what you saw here in episode four is what Rooster Teeth is really really good at. I think they really really understand the like the visual language of action, right? And they understand that you can use sound in this particular way to create this emotional reaction, that action, when you do this action, it means this. And like, when we can tell this kind of story just through this punch and that kick and that gun and this, you know, forearms monstrosity, spider mech thing, it worked here. You could tell Mm -hmm. this is what they wanted to get to. Um, Maisie Williams is a little too good at acting. It was very hard to watch this again when her head is ripped off. The scream is visceral yeah. and difficult. It's a real good scream. Um, uh, did not enjoy watching this one over again. I wanted to shout outs to Maisie Williams. She does a great job in that scene. Uh, on the flip side of that, Michael B. Jordan, when he says to shoot the mech, should have sounded panicked or it, it should have affected him in some manner mm-hmm. and it did not and and it really it's it speaks to that sort of like directional problem i think exists yeah. somewhat what about what about uh, did you guys feel the same way about episode four that 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 I, you felt better or enjoyed episode four more yeah i i think as it accelerates more into what it wants to do and what it's good at i mean like this action scene clearly like the show cared about it and it showed and and i liked it and yeah, if they're fun. not going to explain the world, don't linger on the world and just give me action. Yeah, yeah. I and, and so I'm 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 excited. I I you know I'm gonna. Uh, this is something I I would do in school all the time, and I'm going to admit it here and now that I have read ahead of the assigned material. <gasps> you monster! Yes, I know. Yeah. Um, Welcome to Steven's tinfoil hat corner. I knew all along. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, oh my god. Okay. I'm sorry. I need to tell an important story in my life. Well, about I, reading ahead. Just, I just want to Please say go ahead. the I've only watched ahead to the the first half of episode five, okay. and and it's 
the the we're gonna get more specfic meat to dig into, and I think that's gonna help us deal with the lack of interest that we have in the writing. Mm-hmm. Anything else that we want to say about episodes three and four before we... Uh... I enjoyed these two more. I wish it started with episode three, period, mm-hmm. and uh, cut out some of the excess from the first two episodes. I, I'm and gonna, it's less clumsy than the first two episodes. I'm going to be curious to see how much of the, the problems that we've had with the show are um, roundabout ways to accommodate a, a twist, because um, that's going to... Uh, in our modern storytelling environment, we have become addicted to twists, and we right. should stop it. Yeah, narratives are not... Art is not just a vehicle for us to consume plot twists. Yes, yeah. It's, Agreed. Spoilers are not that important. It just All I'm saying is that if it comes out that the reason all this stuff is not contextualized and the characters are, are harder to really grasp onto is because it's in service of some 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 way to like like tear the rug out from under me it's really going to affect my experience in a negative way yeah and it usually hurts the text overall especially if the text has to contort itself to meet the demands to meet the need for a significant plot twist mm-hmm. yeah i don't want to this i don't want to bring this into this 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 podcast necessarily but this is game of thrones fault I just want you all to know this. And Game of Thrones, the day of recording, season eight starts tonight. Aren't oh, you excited, it, Ignis? No. No, I'm not excited. <laughs> I mean, I'm excited in that this will... This I will, will actually argue it's the fans of Game of Thrones, not on necessarily George R. R. Martin. Because the post-Storm of Swords books do not rely on plot twists as much. No, and that's And people that's don't true. like them for it. Yeah, even though no, Feast that's of fair, Pros actually. is phenomenal. Feast, feast of, of... Okay, so... I'm warmest on Martin's prose here. I know that, but... Yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you. I, I, I don't. I think what you just said in regards to Feast of Crows, I'm 100 on board with. I Feast of Crows was a book that I liked much better than other people, and I thought one of those reasons was because it did an excellent job of characterizing sympathetic characters and re- relying less on huge plot twists like the Red Wedding. Right. I'm talking about the show here, not yeah. the books. Books mm-hmm. is a different story. I, I have less of a grievance with the books. But yeah, cool. I, I think that brings us to the end of this yeah, episode of Machinations. Yeah. Uh, you're going to catch us next week when we talk about episodes five and six of Genlock. And you can also catch us online at uh, at Mechanations Pod. We need some spicy memes. Uh, Gen- the problem is, you even notice this when I'm giving my summaries, it's hard to have fun with the show. And it's hard to create, even like, think about meme culture. Think about making memes for the show. Because the animation's so bland it's very difficult to do that here's a question for memes for a current show we just talked about how we aren't really that endeared by by spoiler culture effectively Mm -hmm. if you're following a rewatch podcast or some other kind of thing covering a a recent uh a work in their media advertising their products do you feel like you like what is your expectation? So you're, let's say there's a show that came out just recently, and you're following a rewatch podcast, and you know that like the podcast itself is going to follow that rewatch format. But when they're like posting on Twitter or That's something interesting, like that, because most of the rewatch podcast I listen to are shows that have long since passed. Right. So I make, don't listen to anything currently myself. Gundam Wing memes. I'm not concerned. I'm gonna right. throw stuff out that, there that's whenever. Happen. Yeah, that's just look. Gundam Wings have been out there for. If you're really that worried about it, like what, no. But you know something like Genlock, because we are now discussing twists and the prevalence of twists and the possibility of a big twist for a mm. season one. You know, towards the end finale, a show that's also under a paywall too. Yep. 
so that that just I mean it just makes me wonder because you know I I don't know because I know so little about rewatch podcasts what the expectation is there. Uh, you know, if, if one of us is like, oh, we're man. all pretty desensitized. To yeah, right. That's the, th- that's the thing is because I w- I'd see something like I think at this at one point I almost wanted to take a screen cap of Dree in the ether scene mm-hmm. and do a meme with that, but then I said several things are going on here. Uh, you know, this this could be a spoiler for for someone who's following us along. Mm-hmm. And maybe he's not gonna, maybe not. They're not gonna watch the, sh- the episodes until Monday, Tuesday, or whatever, and, wa- and you listen to our pod on Wednesday. Or it could also be that whatever the payoff for that is, is yet to someone who's yeah. already watched the show. Um, you know, and not not even as a malicious act, but just as like, uh, oh well, you know, maybe these guys watch the whole show before they do the the pod or whatever, and they're going to respond to, oh well, you know, it was funny that that Dree showed up here, or she actually was dead or alive. So or- I, I will say, I think what Steven is talking about is something a little bit different okay. than what you're talking yeah. about. I, I think what Steven's talking about is that the, the it it's hard to. With Gundam Wing, it was easy to laugh along with Gundam Wing yes. because it was absurd. Um, oh yeah, I mean, I, Steven's base point about. The meme capacity of Genlock? Is that what you're getting to? What I'm saying is that Genlock is because it's, it's, it's so serviceable and pragmatic and, and because it's it's visual, I couldn't even come up with one funny bit for mm. the that's, summary. That's, it's yeah. just not funny. It's just not right, it's right. not easy to I was, make. I was originally going to find some Gilbert and Sullivan lyrics and then turn my and base that around the plot, but it didn't work. It just it, there isn't like a moment where you can. What you would do in this case is you would you would fit a meme to match the the like just what's being shown to you on mm-hmm. like like let's for example the sister performing and like anyway here's Wonderwall like that's not funny because Genlock is funny it's funny because it's fitting that meme and like, by and large the animation so unremarkable that it came and highlight three seconds of footage You're like wow look at this animation like there isn't like a moment where i can like you know like there isn't like oh i love that kaz bit and that kaz bit reminds me of you know blankety blank or i love I, I think the closest we got really was when when i brought up that uh cami is goblin diva mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. like, that's like the closest that we've got right, and, it, and right. it has a lot to do with no context the characterization's been weak you know uh 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 it, that's specifically i think what steven hero is speaking to really rather than like you know uh a concern about how we as a as a as a uh structure release are because mm-hmm. obviously we could like if if we had our own thing to to make fun of with regards to like that's the thing we can't connect this to Gundam Wing because yeah, 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 the yeah, contexts yeah. are so different. Answering so you, though, I think, I don't know, there's no regulating force yeah, for this. Right. A few days would be courteous. Yeah. Like, yeah. if we released an episode on Wednesday and people And also depends along. on the meme as well. You know, obviously there are memes that are not going to rely on, on something that is, you know, could be viewed by some as being yeah, I mean, when Endgame drops, that Friday, no, that the Thursday night, I guess Friday morning yeah. at that point, we're going to be inundated with We're going to be, yep. Yep. Who lives, who doesn't, etc. Right. I think it mostly just has to do with Genlock as a, as a show. Um, we we can't the the tone for it is is such that it's hard to land on a oh this would be a good moment to tell this joke and yeah. I, and I wonder you know the montage was closer they were closer like like the Kaz butt is like like a good visual gag because like especially. It reminds me there is a similar visual gag in Babylon Five where we're we're cutting into a shower scene and mm. we were not shown who was in the shower and we the audience who can be in the nineties typically regarded as men because it was okay to be misogynist in the nineties I guess uh, were expecting yes our attractive female space officer 
and then we cut up and it's a man oh no man. you know the I, organ bromide um, speaking of uh, pants yeah, no, 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 no. uh, playthrough and you know and it almost seemed like I don't think that's what the joke was because yeah. this is the sort of show that probably knows that some people really want to see Cass's mm-hmm, butt, and mm-hmm. it's a nice butt after mm-hmm. all. It is, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, you know, we'll as the show comes, hopefully the memes will flow. Yes, let, let the memes let the memes flow, like our our sign off. Yes. To, this, <laughs> to this episode. I think. Uh, uh, I, I am uh, Ignis Maddox. I was one of your hosts, Stephen Hero, PMC Trilogy. Uh, what, what do we tell him, Ignis? Uh, we tell him, uh, tall geese and short ribs. Mm.